Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. for coming back with me to the early 90s, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that was Shonen Knife. Who remembers Shonen Knife? Oh my God, I loved that band. Loved, love that band. Fabulous. Um, it's Halloween. Uh, uh, uh. So uh, today we're going to talk about something totally scary and gross and disgusting uh, for a change <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, this is actually a subject that we've touched on before, and I'm going to give the same kind of um, warning that I did the last time that we talked about something really over the top nasty. Uh, if you're eating something, if you're prone to being grossed out by moving things inside other moving things. Um, it, this may be not the episode for you, uh, but it, there's some really interesting stuff in here. And I think part of what I'm trying to do is get rid of some of the gross out factor with this. Uh, I'm going to do a lot of talking about maggots. Uh, maggots are Maggots are a lot, I, f- I feel like, and I deal with them in veterinary medicine quite a bit uh, in the bad way. Uh, we're going to talk about the good way and the bad way. The thing about maggots is that When they're good, they're like incredibly good. They can do amazing things. Uh, When they're bad, they're really, really bad. (laughs) So, So we'll talk about both of those things. So I'm super excited about our first uh, Cat Disgusted Halloween episode. I hope you are too. Uh, We'll start our adventure with a story about a kitty. So there was a kitty that uh, I saw in the ER, uh, indoor, outdoor kitty, which means she spends some of her time in the house, some of her time roaming around the neighborhood. Uh, she was missing from the owner's house for two days because uh, she goes outside. It's not unusual for her to go and kind of do her own thing for uh, for a little bit of time, but two days was was extensive for her. So when she returned to the house where uh, they found her laying in the driveway, she was obviously unwell and she had a big wound that was on her back. So we had gotten a page from the front desk uh, when these owners had called the hospital and said they were coming in. Uh, we often get these little blurbs on our on our pagers that say, you know, uh, kitty with wound on back, ETA, 9.30, 10 o'clock. So uh, one of the nurses, uh, when the kitty arrived, she went up to the front desk, talked to the owners a little bit, uh, brought the kitty back into the nurse's treatment area so we could take a look at her. We could smell the cat carrier coming. 
That's always a little ominous <laughs> when you can smell the animal before you see it. Uh, she did indeed have a wound on her back. The wound was old and terribly infected. So it was kind of near, we could see that she had some fur missing. We could see some dried blood uh, on uh, and, and some skin kind of moving around in ways that meant it wasn't really attached as well as it should have uh, on the back half of her body. And so, uh, and oh, and the cat was obviously like systemically sick. I mean, she was very stoic as these kitties often are in horrific situations, but she obviously was unwell. She, her gums were very pale. Uh, her temperature was really low uh, with like with really bad infection and her temperature being low. It's like, oh God, it's probably gone up and now it's crashing down and she's been sitting in one place for way too long. Uh, so we hospitalized her and started her immediately on IV fluids and antibiotics, tried to get her warmed up, tried to get her comfortable. Pain meds were priority. So uh, with the intention that we were going to have a better look at this wound once we she was a little bit more stable for anesthesia, we could give her some uh, good drugs and then kind of have a look at what we were dealing with here. Now, I have to say, I personally, I think we all did, but I know I personally underestimated the size and gravity of this wound. I mean, it lo- I mean it looked it looked bad. You know, I mean it didn't, it didn't look like, oh, we're just going to patch that up. I mean, obviously it was bad. But it it was extensive. So, uh what we did to uh to to have a look at this wound is we gave her some kitty magic fairly young cat healthy otherwise uh kitty magic is the drug combination i've talked about before uh where it's part uh ketamine butorphanol and dexdomator our magical friend dexdomator which is a reversible sedative that we use uh we gave that intravenously because she did have a an IV catheter that we were using for her fluids and her pain meds. Uh, She was also on a pain control called fentanyl, uh, which is a short-acting opioid that we use. It's the one that Prince messed up with, though. I do have to, like, sidebar, it's not a drug for beginners. Like, fentanyl, it's great, but, like, we use it in, like, small amounts, um, and it's really fast-acting. And so, like, if you overdo it you're done. Like there's no window to save you. That's what happened to poor dear Prince is that he, he, he overdid it and there was no window for anybody to save him. So total side note, we can do another episode on, uh, we can do a whole episode on fentanyl and pain control. Uh, maybe we will. So anyway, Kitty, so here I am with Kitty, Kitty Magic Ready, and my good homie, Marlena, who is kind of my anesthesia surgery wound care homie. Like we do a lot of these crazy ER um, wound care procedures together. I don't know why that is. We just, but we, I think we gravitate toward, we gravitate towards it together. We both enjoy anesthesia. We both enjoy wounds. So we gave the kitty her drugs uh, and we started shaving the area around this wound. Now... It became immediately apparent to me that this was going to be a whopper of a procedure, mostly because the more that I shaved this fur and got kind of got like underneath this this dried blood that was around this wound at the back half of her body the smell got worse and worse. And I think it's cuz we're like disturbing it, you know? I mean, like things are oozing a lot of oozing, uh, 
both me and Marlena ended up going and getting surgical masks because it was just so intense. And so what, so we shaved, um, all of the fur on the back half of this cat, uh, the skin that was underneath the fur was obviously dead. Um, it was, you know, it was necrotic is the word that we use. Necro meaning death. The skin was no longer living. Um, it was like, you know, the way that cat's skin and dog skin actually is kind of attached to their body. I kind of sometimes describe it as like a wet t-shirt kind of because they're um, the way that their skin is attached to the musculature of their body is different than ours. Like, have you seen like, you know, cats will like twitch one portion, one portion of their body. Like they can move like one little itty bitty bit of their skin. Like we can't do that. Um, so when they, they kind of have this extra little kind of movement that their skin is able to do. Well, sometimes when they're attacked by things and that skin is grabbed onto and pulled away from their body, this whole layer of skin can come away, but not pull off their body entirely. And it's kind of, that's why I call it the wet t-shirt effect. It's kind of like it pulls this initial layer, but then you've got this space that exists in between. So that's what had happened to this cat. There was a big open wound where there'd either been teeth or claws or a car or something, we'll never really know, had torn the skin away from her body and left all this what we call dead space like between her muscle layer and her skin uh my guess is this had happened to her very soon after her walking out of the door of her house two days ago because it was severely infected there was pus everywhere um, it smelled abysmal. I keep mentioning the smell because I think it was like the most traumatic part of it for me was the odor that was coming out of this cat. Um, the wound extended. So the wound itself was probably about like, I'd say the size of the area of skin that was dead and kind of this semicircle of open wound was probably about the size of the palm of my hand, um, on a fairly large cat. Uh, the extent of the pocket that was in underneath this skin extended all the way up to her shoulders. I could actually, by lifting her skin, see like the tips of her shoulder blades underneath her skin. Um, it went all the way down to the beginning of the base of her tail. She had more scratches and wounds around the base of her tail and halfway down her tail. And that was actually the most sensitive. I think the most reaction we saw under anesthesia was when we were dealing with her tail. The part that we realized once we found this deep pocket is that we were not alone inside this cat. Uh, she was completely infested with maggots. Uh, the doctor came over and had a look underneath. I had my little pen light, which I always carry on me, and we lifted up this big kind of carpet of her skin, and I shone my flashlight in there, and they were I'm like, I'm like a little quivery just talking about it. They, they were everywhere. Um, so our job became to clear them out, get them out, uh, clean the wound, lots of disinfectants, lots of sterile saline and, uh, leave her wound open and have her on IV fluids on IV antibiotics. Um, we put a loose dressing on there, a wet to dry dressing, and we uh, are gonna, and we decide to transfer to transfer her to surgery in the morning because obviously this wound was gonna take a long time to heal, if at all. Uh, so what I so I had some uh, I had some like disinfectant scrub uh, chemical called chlorhexidine, which we use in medicine all the time. Uh, I scrubbed the bejesus out of that back half of that kitty. 
um, I flushed so much sterile saline into that huge wound. We kept having to kind of roll her from side to side to kind of get the saline to get out of her because it was just like filling up a hot water bottle. It just like kept expanding. And every time we moved her and that all that saline came gushing out, it was just a freaking a, a flood of maggots of moving pieces coming out from underneath this wound. It was unbelievable. Um, we did a pretty good job. We were really disheartened by it because it the the wound seemed so uh it 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 seemed like it, it it was something that she may not recover from and it was just impossible to get all these bugs out of this cat. Uh we gave her a, a Capstar, which is a type of flea medication, but it also kills um kills other types of arthropods. Uh and so it will kill blowfly blowfly larvae, which is what we were assuming we were seeing as most common thing. Uh Oh, man, are you, are you serious? Okay. I'm, I'm like trying to, I'm like trying to keep my shit together here. Talking about these creepy crawlies falling out of this cat. And Todd just took the biggest, funkiest dump. Okay. Hang on. Hang on just a sec. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay. I had to get rid of it. It was too much. I can't be like telling this story. I can't be telling this story and like smelling Todd's fresh feces in like the room next to me. That's like, that's, that's over the top. So where was I? Oh, yes. And so while we're flushing copious amounts of saline, seeing all these little, little yellowish white creepy crawlers just spilling out all over into the sink and the table. <sighs> Um, we, me and Marlena kept our shit together. Like we tried to keep it professional. We tried to keep it cool <laughs> during all this. There were lots of technicians that were walking, like all the overnight people, um, were walking by as we're doing this procedure with their like scrubs pulled up over their noses. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. It, yes. Yes. My God. It was intense. Um, but this is like, this is the worst, this is the worst end of the spectrum. That's the thing. This is like the uber bad. The thing about maggots is that they can actually be good. They can work for good, people. And there's a major gross out factor, obviously, that we have to get over with them. But it's, there is such a thing called medical maggots. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about medical maggots and, and what, that, what that is about. Because I've, I kind of uh, was fascinated by, by, the, by the whole thing um, just in reading it. I, I actually have seen at a veterinary conference, I've seen a table from a laboratory that makes medical maggots. And I was fascinated by it then. I was fascinated doing the research for this show. So what this is, um, medical maggots or maggot therapy uh, is the application of what they call disinfected fly larvae to an open wound. So disinfected means that the, the fly larvae have been bred in a really controlled environment where they're not going to be uh, infected with any kind of viruses or bacteria or parasites themselves uh, that would cause any kind of secondary infection or any other kind of problems when they're on an open wound. Um, maggot therapy, it's, it's about two or three days. Uh, this is, no, oh, I should mention, this is from human medicine. Uh, I'll get to like a, a bit about veterinary medicine at the end, but most of the information I'm going to be telling you is from, uh, 
from a human medicine perspective. So what you do is you apply a dressing actually to, to an open wound for about two or three days. And the dressing that is on, is on top of, it's on top of a bunch of maggots that are all up in there feasting on dead tissue. And the reason why you have the dressing is because it prevents them from migrating. <laughs> I loved that they used that word um, in, in, in the material I was reading for the description of how to keep them in one place. No migrating. Uh, so these guys, they are blowfly larvae uh, and they will only feed on dead or unhealthy tissue. So it's called the maggots do debridement, which is essentially what, you know, when I talk about the the cat going to the surgery department for further care, uh, that's essentially what the surgery department is going to do is going to do is debride all of that, uh, debride all of the dead tissue from that wound. Uh, these guys, they also, they excrete, um, antimicrobial molecules because their, di- their gut is digesting, it's digesting microbes and it's digesting, uh, the biofilm that those microbes are creating on this open wound. In addition, you know, as they're feasting on all this, um, necrotic tissue on all this dead and unhealthy tissue, uh, Biofilm is a word that I feel like I've heard a lot in the last couple of years because microbes are just blowing up right now uh, as far as like the research and the benefits and all that. Uh, but it's basically like, you know, the, these these microbes will all stick together and kind of create these mats of bacteria and microbes in places. And these maggots break that up because you don't necessarily want that. I mean, it kind of like it inhibits healing is what it does. So with the maggots breaking all breaking all the, um, the biofilm up and they're eating the microbes and they're uh, getting rid of all the bad tissue, it stimulates the body to produce healthy tissue. It stimulates the growth of that type of tissue, which is great. Uh how did we figure this out, you ask, right? As me and Marlena are trying not to vomit into our surgical masks. Um, we figured this out through the military. That's not uncommon with a lot of medical procedures. Um, soldiers had maggots in their wounds because similar to this poor kitty that was found in the driveway, soldiers would get wounded in places and not be able to get back to base camp uh, because their leg would be in pieces or their arms would be in pieces. And so they would just sit there. And when you just sit there, flies come and they land on you and they lay eggs, which become larvae, which then turn into pupae, which then become flies. So that's how that process goes. And you can imagine how like, you know, soldiers are often in, they're in places where they're outdoors, in the woods, in the jungle, that kind of thing. But what happened was the soldiers that had maggots in their open wounds had better outcomes than the dudes that didn't have maggots in their open wounds. So like we're talking like they it, they saved limbs, like prevented limb amputations, that kind of a thing, because they ate all the dead. They ate all the dead shit. They ate all the dead infected tissue. They prevented, um, you know, microbes from getting a hold of the control of the situation So people's wounds healed up faster. They healed generally uh, because sometimes those if those wounds are just open and unhealing and infected. I mean, that's that's how things go terribly awry. So uh, in the late 20s, there was a dude at Johns Hopkins uh, Hospital, super famous hospital. Right. He applied maggots to wounds intentionally. Um, 
this was the first time that that had really been done in a hospital setting. And the thing about like when we talk about uh, the disinfected maggots, like that labs produce for for medical maggot therapy. I mean, part of what they're taking out of the equation is like if you're a soldier laying in the jungle and a fly just happens to come by and then lay eggs in your open wound. I mean, that fly, you don't know where that fly's been. And ooh, you know what? I might know where that fly has been. That fly has been eating feces. It's been in other dead things. As a, So what does it have on its legs, but the feces and the dead things, which it then like lands in your open wound and lays a bunch of eggs. Yeah. Woo, that's nasty. So we've taken that part of the, of the equation away with medical maggots. We were applying the larvae directly. We don't have this like flying fomite. That's a new word. Have we talked about that word? Fomite means an inanimate object that carries um, infection. Oh, I guess flies aren't really inanimate though, Ooh, but they're like aliens. So close enough. Um, the uh, the flies are not involved in this. And so they're not carrying disgusting things into your open wound. We're just applying straight up the maggots to the wound. Um, with World War II came surgery, uh, antibiotics, that antibiotics, big deal. So the maggot therapy kind of was overshadowed. Like we didn't, we started to think of it as like, you know, like something that the the surgery and the antibiotics became the first line of defense with open wounds. Um, The type of wounds that medical maggots are really good for, uh, besides soldier jungle wounds, are diabetic foot ulcers, um, bed sores or pressure sores, which are called decubital ulcers, um, and of course, any kind of post-traumatic wound, whether it be from war or a car accident or you you put your toe in a lawnmower, whatever it may be. Um, These are all the type of wounds. They kind of can become what we call non-healing wounds. Like they're, they're just too... They're too open to the, the body cannot get control of the situation enough to create granulation, enough granulation tissue to fill in all that dead space uh, before infection is going to take hold and cause major problems. Uh, In 1989, we get it going again, though. Uh, There was a veterans medical center that was in Long Beach, and they proved that the the maggots didn't have to be like a last resort because the way that they were being used is like if the surgery didn't work, if the antibiotics didn't work, oh, I guess we'll do the maggots. And it was like, bum, 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 like, oh, the bugs. So what they proved at this veterans hospital, they applied the maggots earlier on in the process. Um. And it totally was great because the maggots would suck up all that dead tissue and infection in the, before it was so uh, pervasive throughout the wound. And then they had better healing results. They were able to do surgery faster because you can't like sew together dead tissues. You got to get rid of it first. And then healthy tissue, oh, sure, we'll close that up. So hooray, hooray for the Veterans uh, Medical Center in Long Beach. They figured that out. Um, today, any licensed human physician can prescribe medical maggots, uh, just like they could prescribe a drug. Uh, I found this great quote that was from uh, this place called the Monarch Labs, called Monarch Labs Living Medicine, <laughs> provider of medical maggots. Um, the quote from their website is, in the United States, medical maggots are regulated by the Food and Drug Administration as a prescription-only medical device. <laughs> so they're they're trying to make it like a medical device. It's not nasty. It's a medical device. Don't be afraid of the creepy crawlies. Um, these are the special maggots that Monarch Labs makes, like I was talking about before, the disinfected ones, controlled environment, um, very specific diet, no secondary viruses or bacteria or nastiness, um, and they apply the larvae directly 
directly to the wounds. Um, and they are blowfly larvae, just the same type of larvae that I was flushing out of this kitty's wound. Um, but of course not carrying disease or harmful bacteria. Um, it is really, really hard to get over the gross out factor, right? I mean, like, even as I'm like talking about this and excited about it, I'm sure some of you are like, oh my, it's, it's amazing. Like, I feel like even though it's so, it can be so beneficial, we have such a visceral response to these guys. Um, there was a table. Oh, I mentioned this earlier. I saw a table from a laboratory that produced these medical maggots at a veterinary conference. And man, dude, that that table was given a wide berth, even by the veterinary technicians, you know, and we're like we're steel stomached individuals, let me tell you. Uh, but e- even even the vet techs were a little shy about g- going up to that table because they had, you know, samples in some jars up there. So that was a lot. Um, this is not, this is not a common practice in veterinary medicine. Uh, I mean, we see them in veterinary medicine, like, you know, like our poor kitty. Sure. We see them. Uh, me and Mel talked about it in a, in one of our episodes that we did, that we did together. She saw a husky infested with maggots. Um, that is not maggot therapy. Like that, yes, they are feasting on dead tissue and necrotic tissue, which can be beneficial, but those were all wounds that have had severe infection already set in. So the maggots ain't going to cut it by themselves. Um, I, I, you know, I think that it, I think we could benefit from this in veterinary medicine. You know, we do see a lot of non-healing wounds, especially, uh, decubital ulcers, like pressure sores. Can't really call them bed sores in dogs. Cause it's usually they're usually it's a, uh, it's not having a bed, which will cause a pressure sore in an animal. Um, a lot of times you'll see like big heavy dogs, like great Danes or mastiffs. They sleep on the front porch, which is kind of like a concrete front porch with no bed because it's cool in the summer and their huge body putting pressure on their pointy parts, like their elbows or their hips, uh, will create a sore that then becomes non-healing, like because it keeps getting opened and rubbed on and pressurized. Uh, so those types of wounds, we do see them in veterinary medicine. And I think that, I think that we could, you know, obviously these medical maggot guys thought that we could use them. They're at the freaking conference. It was a big one in Vegas, I think is where I saw them, the Western veterinary conference, you know, I think the thing that would be hard, um, cause they have to have like a dressing on them to keep them in one place. I think like, as a human, you can say like, Hey human, um, while you have these maggots on your wound, like don't move this dressing, like just keep it there for two or three days. And the human goes, okay, sounds cool. You can't really tell that to a cat or a dog. So the likelihood that that bandage is going to move around or they're going to chew on it. I mean, you can put a, a collar on them so that, you know, the cone of shame will prevent them from chewing on it, but I mean, they're going to move around. Uh, and two or three days is what the human medicine, uh, research says is beneficial. So I think that people don't really, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you want an animal walking around your house, like raining maggots, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause they're going to move around. The animal's going to move around. They're going to be dripping out of that bandage. And no one wants that in their house, I don't think, or a hospital, quite frankly. Uh, cause you know what happens when maggots are around is they, they will then grow up and pupate and become flies and then fly around your house or fly around your hospital. Awesome. So I think it's hard for it, it's hard for veterinary medicine to get on board, but we I think we could though I feel like we could it's it's just figuring out the best way to apply uh, the benefits of those little creepy crawlies to our four legged friends. 
Um, I should tell you about the kitty. Uh, we so what we did is we we did transfer that cat to our surgery service in the morning. Miraculously, they did say that we did a really good job of getting the creepy crawlies out of there. They did see the next morning that there were definitely more creep. There were still some that they were flushing out of the giant under undercarriage of this of this wound, but not nearly as many as we thought. So me and Marlena felt pretty good about that. Um, surprisingly. Uh, well, surprisingly to me, because I thought the wound was really extensive, but the sur- the surgeon that saw this cat did actually say that given the amount, given enough time uh, and enough care, this cat uh, had the possibility of recovering from this wound. Um, unfortunately, I feel like the things that would have to be in place for that to happen, multiple bandage changes, multiple bouts of anesthesia, multiple hospital stays was not something that the owner was able to do. Uh, And so they did choose humane euthanasia for this kitty. There's no guilt in that, dude. I mean, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, this, I feel like they made a humane choice for, for this animal. Uh, but nonetheless, I feel like I, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm grateful for that little kitty's presence in my life. You know, it was, it was terribly sad and terribly, uh, (laughs) traumatic for everyone involved, I think. But, you know, I feel like I learned something. I mean, I, I learned about, I, I researched this episode. I learned about a lot of details about the medical maggots that I didn't know. Um, and I, I feel like I have her to thank for that. So, so thank you, little kitty. Um, I know you're, I, I, I know you're okay now. I know you're in a better place now. I like chocobars, any kind of chocobars. I eat chocobars every day to Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to uh, Cat Discuss. It's Halloween episode. Uh, we love Halloween at the hospital. We've got a pumpkin carving contest. Uh, nurses dress up for the holiday uh, with like ears and uh, cattails. We had a ninja turtle working in CCU last year. Um, of course, they have to be something that's not going to be have swinging parts because you know how cats get with things swinging around. Um, so we intend to eat a lot of candy. I hope you intend to eat a lot of candy. We'll let Shona Knife play us out with their song, um, I Like Choco Bars, because I fucking love them. Um, thanks so much, everybody. And remember, don't come and see me at work, especially when you should be eating candy. Come on. I like Choco Bars. Chocobar I eat chocobar